How high do you think food insecurity is? I'd say it's like uh, 10%. 10%. All right, very good. What do you think? Food security is a marker that tells us a lot about a state, especially its economy and the health of its people. Unfortunately, Ohio routinely ranks in the bottom five nationally for food insecurity. This means that Ohio households, at a rate of almost 15% statewide, are forced to either not eat or eat less than they need because of either the cost or the availability of food. This is Prognosis Ohio, WCBE's health policy and politics podcast. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. Welcome to our second episode in collaboration with WCBE, in which I talk with Rob Moore of Scioto Analysis about food insecurity and related issues in Ohio. Before turning to today's guest, though, and the important issue of food, food deserts, and their effect on the health of Ohioans, it's time for our bi-weekly news roundup. First up, we want to highlight an important legislative fight happening over work requirements in our state. Currently, in Ohio law, those receiving food stamps must spend 20 hours a week working, attending school or job training only if they are younger than 50 years old and have no children under 18. House Bill 200, though, would raise the age cutoff to 60, and parents would only be exempt if their children were younger than 6. Additionally, it would take away beneficiaries' ability to turn down an offer of employment without risking their food stamp eligibility, and would prohibit them from quitting a job or reducing their hours. This bill would also get rid of an exemption currently in place for those who live in the 36 largely Appalachian Ohio counties with exceptionally high unemployment rates. Proponents of this legislation have said that they simply don't want to incentivize able-bodied adults who choose not to work. Earlier this June, however, Tara Britton of the Center for Community Solutions, one of our favorites here at Prognosis Ohio, I might add, provided testimony outlining the reasons why food stamp work requirements are not just harmful, but unsound economic policy. She said, quote, It is common for SNAP recipients to experience periods of unemployment or insufficient hours to comply with work requirements. SNAP serves as a vital safety net to ensure low-wage workers do not go hungry when their hours are reduced or they become unemployed, end quote. As this debate continues, it's important to remember that one in nine Ohioans relies on food stamps, and whatever the outcome of this legislative fight, the impact will be huge. On a more uplifting note, bipartisan infant mortality legislation has passed the House unanimously. If passed by the Senate and signed into law, the bill, HB 11, would earmark $11 million for infant mortality reduction efforts. The bill would expand insurance coverage of tobacco cessation services, expand dental coverage for pregnant Medicaid recipients, require the Ohio Department of Health to create educational information on lead paint, and provide $6 million in grant monies for programs that encourage early prenatal care. Lastly, the State Medical Board of Ohio has ruled against allowing doctors to prescribe medical marijuana for the treatment of opioid addiction. The board cited a lack of research as the reason behind their decision to exclude not just opioid addiction from the list of approved illnesses, but depression and insomnia as well. Board President Michael Schottenstein has noted that a big reason why they failed to approve medical marijuana as a treatment for opioid addiction is that if future research found marijuana to be harmful in treatment, the board wouldn't be able to undo their decision. Well, that's this episode's News Roundup. Check out our show notes at wcbe.org for more information about each of the items. Today's guest is Rob Moore, principal at Scioto Analysis. Rob's been a friend of this podcast since the beginning, this being his second appearance. 
Rob has worked as an analyst in the public and nonprofit sectors and has analyzed diverse issues such as economic development, environment, education, and public health. He's currently a board member for Gross National Happiness USA, a national grassroots organization promoting the multidimensional measurement of well-being in society. He also contributes a regular local politics column to Columbus Alive. Rob and I spoke outdoors in the WCBE tent at the Columbus Arts Festival in June, where we discussed food insecurity in central Ohio. You'll notice that the recording itself is a little rough. It was a windy day in Columbus, but we hope it gives you that kind of I was there sort of feeling. Okay, now to my conversation with Rob Moore. Thanks for coming down, Rob. Thanks for having me, Dan. Um, I wonder if we could just kind of get the uh, elephant in the room out there, which is, you know, here we are downtown um, in a tent with lots of signs that say food everywhere and people are going to be eating corn dogs and pizza and ice cream and all that kind of stuff. But we're talking about food insecurity. So what is it and uh, how, how should we start to think about that issue in our in our city? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. Um, Food insecurity is sort of the key performance indicator when it comes to reducing hunger in the United States. Um, There is a survey that's done in the the, uh, current population survey by the U.S. Census Bureau that asks people a number of questions about uh, their access to food, how much they're, uh, if they're ever skipping meals, if they ever have trouble uh, purchasing healthy food, etc. And using this survey, they're able to determine the prevalence of food insecurity in a community. And there are four, I mean, there are two main, major levels of food insecurity. One is being food secure, one is being food insecure. And then amongst that, there's two subcategories. When you're food secure, you can either be very food secure or marginally food secure. Marginally food secure basically means that you're getting the food that you need, but that you have sometimes when you are on the edge of potentially falling into food insecurity. So a paycheck or two away from food insecurity. <laughs> exactly. And there might be some anxiety that's attached to that. Um, and then if you're food insecure, there is. Uh, low food security and very low food insecurity. And if you are, uh, if you have low food security, that means that you are not really, you're not getting the uh, the nutrients that you need, you're not getting all of the like a balanced um, diet. And if you have very low, you may be skipping meals. Right. So you know, not eating is one thing, and we tend to think about hunger in, in those terms uh, at the margins. But eating, but not getting nutrients, is also an important way to think about the different shades of gray. Exactly. So what about our community? I mean, so here in Central Ohio, everybody who takes a look at it knows we're a highly segregated uh, city economically. Um, our neighborhoods are really fragmented, and you can drive. You know, I live in Grandview. And you can drive just five minutes and life expectancy decreases by 20 years, right? So is food, does food insecurity work in the same way where you have just really like cliff dives from neighborhood to neighborhood or massive inequality between neighborhoods? It does. Um, it follows a lot of the same patterns that we see with things like poverty and housing insecurity, etc. Um, you have a place like Delaware, Ohio, which has the lowest food insecurity rate in the, in the state at about 8% um, versus... Athens, Ohio, which has the highest at 19%. If a community has more than a third of its population or more than 500 people in a census uh, tract, 
who are a mile away from a grocery store in a urban or a suburban county or 10 miles away in a rural county that is classified as a food desert mm -hmm. and here in ohio i mean, in franklin county itself we have food deserts all across the south side we have food deserts in linden and uh and um the hilltop and even up in delaware downtown delaware has food deserts as of 2015 when the most recent data had come out yeah even in some of our more affluent areas i think about dublin where i where i work um, where my office is and you know the food pantry there is a really important um, force in the community but when people think of dublin ohio they don't think of that which just again points us to the inequities and the inequalities that exist even within affluent communities and also around you know refugee refugee and immigrant populations that might be food insecure sometimes and just it's the the divide that we have even within these communities that always kind of gets me thinking so so food desert then i mean wouldn't just be a place that doesn't have we tend to think about you know where there are supermarkets for example or not supermarkets i mean is that part of it is it just like the ability to like be in proximity to places where you can purchase food or is it um, where you have corner stores only that have, you know, chips and things like that and things that are actually food, but not going to help you be healthy. The USDA defines a food desert as um, in relation to how many supermarkets are in an area. So if, there, if you are within a mile of a supermarket in an urban area or within 10 miles in a rural area, you are not in a food desert. So that's that, that's the technical definition. There can there are of course other ways to get food in those um, places, and it can be a it can be an imperfect way of capturing. But the nice thing about using a uh, food desert as a definition is it gives you an idea of some of the geographic inequality when it comes to access to food. How high do you think food insecurity is in all households in the U.S.? Just a wild say, guess. Sadly, it's probably higher, but I think it's maybe around 30%. So as we walk around our city, I mean, you, you pointed to some communities that um, are comparatively food insecure. And uh, obviously, there's some uh, more affluent areas of the city that have, you know, a Whole Foods, uh, you know, uh, and then another Whole Foods down the down the street, or some of the more high-end, fancier uh, supermarkets. What what kind of things are happening in Central Ohio communities to address the issue? I mean, can you give me some examples about what we're actually doing, if anything. Are we doing enough? Like, wh where do we stand with that? Well, there are two federal programs that are the major programs that are being used to battle food insecurity across. Uh, the country, and that is the SNAP program and the food lunch and breakfast programs, mm -hmm. uh, the school lunch and uh, breakfast programs. And the SNAP program uh, in Ohio, there are 1.3 million reci recipients of SNAP, and that's food stamps. Mm. Um, that is one in nine Ohioans being a, a recipient of the SNAP program. Uh, the average benefit of that is $124 per month given to those folks. And through a uh, the research and analysis that's been done, the policy analysis, uh, being a SNAP recipient reduces your chance of being food insecure by 5 to 20 percent. So that means that about 65 to 260,000 Ohioans are being pulled out of food insecurity by the SNAP program. It's interesting, too. I mean, 124 is so little when you know in terms of what it takes to feed a family, for example, for a month. Uh, but when you look at as with many of our social safety net programs, um, social welfare programs, I mean, it's a floor. It, it kind of creates this, it raises this floor just enough 
that anything beyond that can really help, but you remove that floor and it just tanks. So how do we think about like the ability to, I mean, that, that amount of money, uh, how do we process what it actually takes to become food secure um, in terms of dollars? One way to think about uh, SNAP is that it is a program that gives basically a cash transfer to families because most families, as you said, are spending more than $124 on food per month. So if they're going to use that to supplement their food spending, maybe they can take that money that they would be spending on food and then spend some of that on education, you know, bettering their family, health care. And actually, um, making that connection to health care, there is research that shows that uh, families that are uh, – that our recipients of SNAP on average spend $1,400 less per year than similarly situated families that are not on SNAP. So what does that mean? Can you unpack that for me? Basically, it means that there's something that having access to food and having access to that resource is reducing people's health expenditures on the back end because they're able to, one, feed themselves better, which can be a preventative, uh, also potentially allocate that money towards other things that can improve their health care outcomes. That's very similar to the Medicaid discussions where critics of Medicaid want to say that, oh, Medicaid doesn't drive health outcomes as much as we'd like them to. Some claim not at all, which is just not true. But one of the things we do know is that people who are on Medicaid are also more likely to be housing secure, to not go into bankruptcy for medical debt. Um, they don't skimp as much on food, and they might be able to keep their heat on during the winter. Exactly. There's also just healthy eating, right? And you know, and I wonder if you if you have a sense, and this might be out of the scope of some of your analysis that you've done through Sayoto analysis, but. Uh, when you think about how do we get people to eat more healthfully, I go to the you know the Ohio State Fair, or here we are at the Columbus Arts Festival, and you know as I mentioned, I mean Ohioans like their corn dogs, they like their um, everything dipped in batter, uh, you know, and deep fried kind of thing. We joke about it all the time, especially with the state fairs and things. But you know, when I go to, I was talking to somebody. They run these uh, tours um, where you can go to you know Market District, or you can go to Kroger and learn about. Um, how to shop economically, but also healthfully. Mm, mm, mm. But I also notice when I check out that the people working at the stores oftentimes don't even know the difference between a lot of the vegetables. Like mm. you wonder if the people who are working at the stores are actually living that life. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about getting access to high quality food. Not everybody can afford a CSA or, you know, get a farm box every week. So are there, are there ways we can think about not how to just eat more, but how to really get better quality food here? Yeah, I mean... Talking about the determinants of food insecurity, we talked about geography being a determinant. If you're in a certain neighborhood or if you're in a certain county, you're more likely to be food insecure. Income is also a determinant. But also things like education and financial management skills have been shown to have these connections. There's a giant program that's associated with SNAP called the SNAP-Ed program. It happens in every state. It is federal funding that comes down to the state. In Ohio, it is run by the Ohio State Extension Program. And this is a financial management for food insecurity program. Oh, okay. And I did an analysis of uh, food insecurity here in Ohio to see, you know, if we spent money on jobs programs or on uh, cash transfers through SNAP, uh, through uh, EITC expansion. Yeah or through um, the SNAP-Ed program, what would be the best I mean, the most cost-effective way to reduce food insecurity? And what I found was if you uh, spend $700,000 
you can pull one person out of food insecurity when you are using a jobs training program. Mm -hmm. If you spend $70,000 with an EITC expansion, you can pull one person out of food insecurity. So EITC... The uh, you know cash transfer. Yeah, I was gonna say slow down there, Wonker. Yeah, <laughs> Let's, uh, policy Wonk guy. The earned income tax credit. Yeah, the yeah. earned income tax credit, which yeah. is a basically a tax break that goes to low income families who are working. That is ten times as effective as a jobs training program at reducing food insecurity. But SnapEd, this program that teaches people financial management skills to uh, reduce their food insecurity. That only costs seven hundred dollars per person pulled out of food insecurity. We have very strong experimental evidence showing that this is effective in places like Indiana and Oklahoma, mm -hmm. and that and that experimental evidence mirrors what we're seeing in Ohio when it's being used. So that is a hundred times more effective than the EITC in uh, reducing food insecurity, and a thousand times more effective than a jobs training program. You know, and it strikes me there's so many details in here, and you uh, get into the weeds with the analysis that you do so expertly, but just even. You know, stepping back to the fifty foot, fifty thousand foot view on this, yeah, it just reminds us again that there. I mean, health is this thing that is an outcome um, from all sorts of different mechanisms, many of which don't even register in our traditional healthcare debates. And it's why one of the one of the reasons why in Prognosis Ohio we want to bring uh, listeners more in touch with just thinking holistically about this, thinking about when they're walking about the the urban space and their cities, or thinking about rural care. Driving on, you know, I mean, you try driving from here to, um, you know, Pittsburgh, and what, what is there to eat between here and there but junk, right? And, and in fact, again, as I said, we kind of celebrate this as a great American rite of passage, and um, it's pretty annoying because you're driving past really fantastic farms the whole time, but you can't access any of that. Yeah, and the parts of the state that we see food insecurity um, most prevalently are urban counties and Appalachian counties. And you have to go, the top 23 most food insecure counties in Ohio are either urban or Appalachian. In the top 10, uh, you have Cuyahoga County, uh, Lucas County, uh, Montgomery County, Franklin, Mahoning, which is Cleveland, uh, Toledo, uh, Cincinnati, uh, Dayton, and Youngstown. And then you have four other Appalachian counties in that top 10. Um, you have this... We have this concentration of poverty, which is also connected to this concentration in uh, food insecurity, which is also connected to health outcomes. We know we have a lot of evidence showing that if you are food insecure, your children are more likely to have birth defects, anemia, lower nutrient intakes, cognitive problems, uh, risks of being hospitalized, asthma, behavioral problems, depression. And then there's also problems for adults when it comes to uh, decreased nutrient intakes, uh, worse outcomes on health exams, poor sleep outcomes, etc. Yeah. Well, it's, it struck me moving to Ohio from New York the first time when people would talk about school districts. I mean, first of all, when they would talk about neighborhoods, they would talk about school districts as a proxy for it. That was a sort of status of what the, the, the neighborhood was like. But then also when people thought about schools, they would almost immediately turn to the number of lunches free lunches being served or the eligibility requirements. And you just realize just how closely our neighborhood identifications in central Ohio and around Ohio in general are tied to this idea of lunches. Obviously, some places have gotten rid of, I mean, they just offer lunches to all the kids to reduce stigma around food insecurity. But it really struck me that that's a strong identification for Ohioans. They're very well aware of how many 
free lunches, how many subsidized lunches are going on or breakfasts. I guess the, uh, the breakfast program is maybe even more important here. Uh, and just thinking about the way that's tied to the way we think even just about where we want to live or uh, where we can um, be safe or where we can thrive in, in, in our cities. So, um, well, I want to thank you for for sharing some of the analysis with us and we're going to have you back again and again as we develop this podcast and the relationship with WCBE and uh, thanks very much for joining me at the Columbus Arts Festival. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks to Rob Moore for coming down to the Columbus Arts Festival to talk with us. You can read more about Rob and his work at scioto-analysis.com. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner, Kyle Rosenberger, and Mark Franz. Jory Gomes assists with background research and copy, and he also did our Person on the Street interviews for this episode. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio through WCBE's podcast experience webpage, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and really wherever else you get your podcasts. We would love it if you'd leave a positive review so we can continue to grow the show. You can follow us on Twitter as well at at prognosisohio and email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Finally, as we do work on growing the show, making it a solid foundation for ongoing conversations about important issues in health and healthcare here in Ohio, we'll be looking for some financial support. If you're interested in underwriting Prognosis Ohio, please do be in touch. Okay, until next time.